of the prophet Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will make notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where, what is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You may be seated. that in the bulletin this morning, it says that Randy Keller is preaching today. Uh, this is an exciting thing that we're trying to do as often as we can at Calvary to have uh, others of our leadership in, in the pulpit for you to hear from. I think that when we do this, we only benefit from that. Uh, it is good to have a variety of voices talking about, expressing, sharing their faith in a variety of ways. And so we're very glad to ask Randy to, to do that this morning, and he was very gracious uh, to agree to do it. So I'd like to have Randy come up. He's one of our deacons here at Calvary and was very glad to have him around. Good morning. Wow. <laughs> um, well, start here. I just wanted to give you a quick update on Good Neighbor Days. Um, we did really good. We did 234 hours of volunteer time as a church. So um, a lot of that was done over the three days where we actually did the parking. Um, so there was a lot of time given by the members of this church. Um, another thing I learned on Friday is that we actually won the award for the volunteer group that gave the most hours. So we're going to get a $500 check that we're going to be able to use. So exciting things. Um, so hopefully we can use that in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and to the community. 
do something that really helps. So, here we go. Bear with me as we lean into this today. We learn about Jonah. As most of you know, this is my first message I've ever preached. In fact, if you've known me very well (laughs) for a long time, it would have been near impossible to get me up here. Um, When I was in high school, college, most of my career, the thought of public speaking terrified me. Just drew fears, pangs of fear that I I can't even explain. Um, Somewhere along the way through this church, through God's grace, his promises, he's taken most of that fear away and he's given me the opportunity to speak here and I'm excited about it. A little bit nervous, but excited about it. Um, this, this talk's obviously a little bit different than most public speaking. There's a little bit more weight to it. Um, and honestly, when Pastor Clayton asked me to do it, I, I thought about taking Jonah's example and heading towards Tarshish, trying to find it. <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't find it exactly where it was, so I decided I'd stay. <laughs> um, but really, as I think about it, you know, what right do I have to stand up here and speak to you about what God says? And honestly, the answer is I don't. But God is faithful. He can use any of us to speak. I pray the Spirit is with us this morning, and we learn, and we can use something from this message. Um, so as to paraphrase one of the radio greats, Paul Harvey, now for the rest of the story. The single-sentence sermon summary, I can't even say it, um, it's really two sentences. <laughs> I couldn't consolidate it down to one. So God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. He also wants more for those around us than we want for those around us. As we move into the series on Jonah, Pastor Clayton talked about the first four verses last week, and we're going to review those again today as we go through it. Two main areas we're going to talk about are Jonah and what was happening with him. And also we're going to end with um, what is happening with the people that is on the ship with him. What, what their reaction is and how they're living through this. So as we start, what is the first thing you think of when you think of Jonah? For me, it's the big fish. Um, as he's swallowed and then vomited up on land. That, that's what I think of. But I think that's a very simplistic view of it. Um, It's what we learn as children. It's what we remember because it's kind of sensational. Where else in the Bible does it talk about a fish swallowing somebody? But it's it's way too simple, and it really doesn't get us to the heart of the matter. So this is a story we are told. Sorry, I already said that. (laughs) Um, Clayton talked last week about how God's will for our lives is greater than our own will. How does that relate to the story of Jonah? So we step into it, we learn a little bit, a very small about who Jonah is. Basically the story tells us he's the son of Amittai. And that's it. That's his history. The only other time he's mentioned in the Bible, is, or in the Old Testament anyway, is in 2 Kings chapter 14, where he prophecies that the land is going to grow under Jeroboam II. That's really all we know. There's not a lot to know. I don't think it's really important. <laughs> it, it, it has more to do with what we are, who we are. What we do know is God told him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
He ran as far as he possibly could to the opposite end of the known world. <clears throat> Take a look at the map on the screen. Jonah was from around Gath Heifer, which is the middle dot there. He traveled, instead of going a little bit north to Nineveh, he traveled south to Joppa to catch a ship all the way to Tarshish, which is in Spain. Would kind of be like today, us driving to California to take a spaceship to go to the moon to avoid Cleveland. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. <clears throat> in any case, Jonah wasn't, obviously wasn't planning on following God's direction. But for a bit of background, who is Nineveh? What were they? It was the capital city of Assyria, the strongest and most dreaded empire in the world at that time. They did cruel things to the countries they conquered. They killed and did horrendous things to the leaders, and they took the people captive and moved them away from their homes. They effectively killed the culture. Israel and its people would have seen Assyria as a great terror, an unbelievable terror that they didn't want anything to do with. But I wonder in those days, would the Israelites have thought of the people individually or have seen them as a government of Assyria? Would they have seen that there's a difference? I think it's hard to see them as an individual when you're that scared. I think many Israelites would have even said they hated those people, Jonah being among those. And on this side of the cross, I think it's easy to sit here and say, how could that be? How could we hate an entire group of people? I mean, we're Christians, and Jesus told us to love everyone. It's easy, right? But I don't know. Is it? Is it really? Just a brief serv public service announcement on this. That's just a group of people, <laughs> of angry people. There's nobody in particular I'm aiming at, nobody I'm talking about in particular. Um, right or left, it doesn't really matter. It's just angry people. But as an example, if we look at our current political climate, if you're on social media, watch the news, if you talk to people, um, if you think about people in these pictures and you know the, the people you experience in life, there's a lot of hate going on right now, even among us Christians. If someone is on one side of an issue, they have to have, be ill-intentioned or evil or an idiot or all the above. They, they can't, can't just have a different opinion, right? They're not worth listening to and not worth listening to understand their point of view. It's difficult. Or how do we look when people, we see people as a physical threat? We think about ISIS and how that in group engages in horrendous terror, maybe similar to what the Assyrians were doing. It does cruel things to those it defeats, destroys ancient historically important artifacts as it goes through and it destroys them again on the way back out as it's defeated. It's a group that doesn't instill much compassion. For many, it instills fear on what they could do, anger at what they've done, maybe frustration or anger at the governments of the world for how they've reacted to it. They haven't done very well. But how do we extend that to the people living there? We watch people run from Syria on television, and as, the as ISIS inflicts the horrible pain and suffering that they're causing there. We at times view the people that live there, maybe they're all extremists. Are we willing to go there and help or bring refugees here? 
What if God told us to go there and bring refugees here to Washington? I'd like to think we, maybe I, would say yes. But I wonder if instead we would find an excuse to say this can't be God's will. God wouldn't want to harm America, wouldn't want to harm my home, wouldn't want that. Besides, if they're not part of ISIS, do they support Syria, the government there? They really don't seem much better. They pour tons of chemical weapons on their people. It's scary. It's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know how to react. But remember, in Jonah's case, we weren't told that he doubted God told him what to do. He intentionally ran when God told him to go to Nineveh to preach destruction. He told them to go preach destruction, not peace. But as we find out later in Jonah 4, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take me away from, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. How selfish. <laughs> he didn't run because he was afraid or because he didn't want to preach destruction, but because he knew God would forgive them when they repented. He did not want them to find God. They were too bad. They hated Israel and he hated them. Jonah knew what was best. As I reflected and prepared for this this morning, I thought of times when I've noticed a sinner in the act of sinning. How do I react to that? With compassion or with judgment? Have I wanted what is best for them or have I wanted what is best for me for them? I want to repeat that again. Have I wanted what is best for them or have I wanted what is best for me for them? I think it's easy to want for me and it's easy to get confused and think that what I'm wanting is best for them but it's really better for me I don't, instead I don't think I've consistently looked at the people as people of God and said God loves you he wants you no matter what you've done he wants you to repent he wants you to turn I fear more frequently I've made a judgment about their sin Maybe they're a drug addict or a thief or they've cheated me or someone I love. Their sins are so much worse than anything I've done. Not really. Their sins are unforgivable to me. I don't see the human behind the sin nor the ability to turn from their sin nor maybe as importantly God's desire for them to turn from their sin. I'm selfish. To say it straight as I can, you or I may be the only evidence that someone may see of Jesus. And we should love them as God loves all sinners, including ourselves. However, even when someone we knew as a sinner has repented, how do we react? We tend to question that. In fact, in some ways, we judge them as incapable of ever being trusted again. A lot of times you're not eligible to hold a position of importance if you've committed a felony. It's never again are you to be trusted. 
except maybe a politician, those who trust them anyway. Seriously, though, God wants us to, have, us to love as he loves us. Every single person on the planet deserves to be loved by God and by extension us as Christians. When we do not, we are not representing God's will. In fact, I think in a way, in some internal way, we're running just like Jonah did when we do that from God's will. As we move on, I'd also like to talk about the people that are on the ship with Jonah as he's fleeing and their reaction to Jonah. In verses 5 and 6, we see, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. One note, you'll see several slides here in a row of um, the scripture. I'm not going to read through all of it. We've read through it already, but it's up there just for your reference as we kind of go through. And I will reference some of it specifically. When the wind started to blow and the ship was tossed about, they knew they could not save the ship. They started to pray to their gods while Jonah, who knew exactly what was happening, was sleeping soundly below. When nothing worked, they woke him up and asked him to pray to his God to see if he would help. I don't see where it says whether he actually prayed or not, but I think we can tell he doesn't have any desire to depart from his current path. In verse 7, the people then decided to cast lots to see who was at fault. And when it fell to him, he finally starts to explain a little bit. He tells them to throw him overboard so the wind will stop and they'll be saved. However, the big surprise of this is the sailors don't want to. Even though they're non-believers in the true God, they are concerned about his life. They care about him. Instead of rowing, throwing him overboard, they start rowing to the, to the side of the sea to try to unload him safely. They don't want to kill him, even though he admits it's his fault. They try everything. As we see in 13, non-believers care about Jonah's life more than Jonah did. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. I find it amazing. God's prophet hates while non-believers love. Do we ever see that today? Where a Christian hates and a non-believer loves? I think we do. I'm afraid we do. I think each of us can probably think of times when we've seen a Christian or ourselves react poorly to those around us. While a non-believer has shown love, has shown God's love in a way we haven't. At the end of the day, what can we do about it? I think it's time to pray. As a church and as individuals, it's time to pray to search our hearts for where we hate. Where do we hate? 
Who is it that we think is beyond salvation and we don't want to be saved? We should pray for ourselves to learn God's heart and learn to pray for each other, for our enemies. To repeat our single sentence, single, whatever it is. (laughs) God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. He also wants more for those around us than we want for those around us. Here are some points that we can think about as we go through the week. If God asked us to love someone in a specific way, who in our lives would be hard to love? If we don't know, ask God to reveal it. Then pray to God to soften our hearts towards those around us. Help us to love those around us. And commit to pray for that person on a daily basis. I think you'll find it will have amazing effects on who you are and what you think of that person. Not that it's easy. And then I wanted to leave with one final sentence here from Romans. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more love, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Remember, he's the reason. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this morning, on our days. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your words. Help us have been a meaningful time and a useful time in our lives, in our days. Help us to take to heart, to love those around us. Guide us in your love. Help us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.